0: Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And again he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables, and he said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside. And the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground, where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced some thirty fold, some sixty, and some a hundred, and he said to them, "He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable, and he said to them, To you, it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may they may see and not perceive." And hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word immediately receive it with gladness, and they do not and they, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones that hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter, entering in, in choke the word. And it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. Let's pray together. Father, we commit this time to you. We pray that you would set it aside for your holy use. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would teach us everything he wants to instruct us in. And we just yield our hearts to you. We open up our hearts. We want to receive your word and accept it, and we want to bear fruit, Lord, and so we pray that you would use these verses to that end, and we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. We're in the middle of this great gospel of Mark that we've talked about related to Peter having heavily influenced Mark related to the details of this gospel. And we've gone through a lot already just in the first three chapters. And we've seen him already be confronted by the religious leaders of the day. they were more organized now. They're getting more and more organized. And they'll get really organized as we see at the end of the gospel. We still have the gospel of Luke and we have the gospel of John as we go through the gospels. As I mentioned before, the gospel of John is 90% original to, to John. Only 10% of that book is mentioned, the content is mentioned in the other Gospels. So we have one more, and and with each Gospel, we get a little bit different perspective. We get little details added or taken out for a specific reason, some of which has to do with the author that wrote it, and I mean the human instrument that wrote it. Human, you know, the the Gospel writer, the humans there. Uh, But ultimately, we know that the Holy Spirit authored these books as men were moved by the Holy Spirit. So we've seen all these different flavors from Matthew trying to reach the Jews, emphasizing the teaching of Jesus, which, which uh, Matthew has 60% you know, content related to his teaching. But Mark's dealing with his acts, his mighty acts, as the suffering servant there, writing probably from Rome uh, to the Rome, uh, first of all, the Roman audience there first, and then, of course, it was passed along and so forth. So today, we get to see Jesus kind of in a, a natural amphitheater. I love amphitheaters. I love just when you go into these big uh, arenas or things, and but more naturally, you see the, sometimes in Israel, especially, you see where they had little stadiums, and they were kind of built with stones and so forth. Uh, but there's also natural amphitheaters here. The Sermon on the Mount was not given from from Jesus' perspective, was not given on the water. It was given on a mount. That's why it's called the Sermon on the Mount. So he was likely towards the top of the of the mountain or the hill, and then down below people were sitting and so forth. They could hear him. But now this, as we see today, he's actually... On the Sea of Galilee, and it could be called the Sermon on the Sea. And he really focuses on giving these parables here. And we've talked about parables a little bit. I don't know that I've kind of dissected the word. Maybe I did, but we can hear it again. Maybe it'll be new to some of you. The word parable comes from two words the, the preposition para, which means alongside, and then balo, which means to throw. So it literally means to throw alongside. And what it's, what the, the, the purpose of a a parable would be to take something that was unfamiliar and throw it alongside something that was familiar, usually something physical, something that you know very well. You know some this whole situation or this uh, example in life, some physical thing, situation, and then the teacher would throw alongside that example, the story, and they usually have only one main point, usually. That's where people get into trouble with parables as they start doing like 20 points of theology from a, from a parable. Uh, that's problematic. It's usually one main point, And you throw alongside something spiritual, and you compare it to something familiar that's physical. And that's kind of uh, the way they have always been communicated. And Jesus wasn't the first to use parables. Very common in that day for rabbis and other teachers to use Parables, And so this wasn't something, a new approach to teaching, but obviously the, his parables were infinitely superior to what anyone had ever uh, heard up, up to this point. So today we're going to focus on one main parable today, and, and we're only focusing on one because of its importance, as we'll see in the passage. And the parable is known as the parable of the soils. Some people refer to it as the parable of the sower, I don't care so much for parable of sower because the focus, the problem in the passage is not the sower. The problem in the passage is the soils. So that's why I like to call it the parable of, of the soils. And so the picture is farming. It's an agrarian society very familiar we're very familiar sometimes people forget that live in the central valley that this is a farming area <laughs> it, it, you know you never go to a farm you maybe you don't know a farmer uh, and you just forget because we're going to save mart we're going to raley's we're going to winco we're going to costco and we just it's it's easy to forget that food just doesn't s- sprout up on shelves That someone actually had to do the work and labor and do go through difficult things in in their day for a long time to bring us that food. I think we should all show farmers great respect. Now the picture here is not a John Deere tractor. Okay, the picture here is a sower broadcasting seed and throwing the seed, the farmer would do that in on the soil. And it's something that would be very familiar to them at this time. That was the same type of, in fact, there's a lot of farming in Israel today. You drive there, and it's not very big. You can drive from the width of it in a couple hours and the length of it in probably four or five hours. And, and so it's not that big, and there's a lot of agriculture, a lot of farmers. So when he's talking about this sowing and reaping and fruit and soil and all these things, they know exactly. It probably was happening right around them. At the moment, when he's teaching this, they knew exactly what he was talking about. Let's begin in verse 1. He says, And again he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. So he he's teaching by the sea. This is the Sea of Galilee. It's referred to today as Lake um, Gennesaret or Lake Tiberius. It's a lake. It's a freshwater lake. It's the second... Uh, lowest lake in the world. It's the lowest uh, salt water, or, uh, freshwater lake in the world, but it's only second to the Dead Sea related to elevation. It's it's fed by uh, the, the Jordan River, which goes through the top of it, through the bottom of it, but also natural springs from uh, underneath. The um, the dimensions of it, and I've just never given this, so I just want to, for those of you that care, <laughs> I want to uh, give this to you. It's 33 miles in circumference, 13 miles long, 8 miles wide. The deepest part of it is only 141 feet deep. So that, that just kind of gives you a little perspective. If you go to Israel, one of the highlights of going, and we're praying about going on a trip next year, uh, Lord willing. But uh, they, the, the great thing about going to Israel, one of the great things is being able to go on the Sea of Galilee in a boat. You know, And if I ever go and Dave Miller's with me, I'm going to say, get out and walk. You talk a lot about that. <laughs> just get out and walk, you know, and he'll probably do it, (laughs) and that would be, that'd be a great shock uh, to to everybody, um, for anybody of us to get out and walk, right, but it's possible, you know, Peter got out of that boat, but what a great privilege it is to sit there, stopped in a boat, worshiping the Lord, reading these passages, and you're on the Sea of Galilee, it's worth any amount of money we have to pay to be there, trust me, and there's many other things about it that's, that's amazing, so here he is in the in the there's a multitude gathered on the beach on the land, a huge, massive multitude. So he gets in a boat and he pushes off a little bit. And, and, and that's the scene here. They're all facing him. The whole multitude was on the land, facing the sea, we're told at the end of verse 1. And then we're, we're told in verse 2 that he taught them many things by parables. Now I want you to note that. This is very important. This will come in. This will come into play a little bit later here. He taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, listen, I love that, just like Charles Stanley. God, listen, God, you know, you ever seen Charles Stanley, the preacher? I mean, he loves to say listen, you know, and, and you're, you're not paying attention or whatever, huh? You know, he, listen, okay, I'll, I'll pay attention. You know, and so he says that, hey, because you know there's people talking with a multitude, it's loud or whatever, listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed, some, that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground, where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it, it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, because it gets hot in Israel, just like here. It gets hot. It's much the same temperature. It's not humid, which I love that. I'm such a wimp when it comes to humidity. When I visited uh, Chris and Mary, oh man, I was such a whiner when it came to to humidity, but it's hot there, so it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up, and it choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has an ear, let him hear. Now we're going to get to the meaning of the parable In a moment, we'll let Jesus tell us what it means. That's superior, of course. You can't even come close to to that kind of interpretation, letting Jesus interpret it. But first, I just want to highlight in verse 9, when he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, we already yelled, Listen, in verse 3. Listen. Most people have ears, some people don't. Uh, Peter tried to make sure that Malchus didn't have a head but he ended up sh- cutting off his ear. But most people have ears, and he's not talking about physical ears here. He's talking about something deeper, and he's talking about having spiritual perception. It's like with radio, and you know, we're getting kind of away from radio in, in some ways because there's all these things online and apps and all these things and so forth, but radio, there's all these frequencies that are put out there all at once. There's all these kind of uh, signals that are going out, all at the same time. And you, when you have a radio, and it's funny when people say, don't turn that dial on TV as if they're dials anymore. <laughs> you know, there's no dials. <laughs> Try to find a dial on that TV. Anyway, so they, you know, they're, you're doing your thing and everything, and they're saying, wait, don't go anywhere. And, but with radio, what you have to kind of hit the button. But now it's presets, no dial, but presets, and, and you have to turn to the right frequency to hear it, to perceive it because it's coming. The signal's coming, but you have to be tuned in to the right frequency, to the right station. And that's kind of the idea here with spiritual perception. He's going to get into all of what that means in a moment. But we have to be tuned in and be able to hear spiritually. There's revelation that's coming our way all the time. And I notice other people missing it. I I notice uh, after the fact, when I missed certain revelation that God was trying to give to me but, we, but it's so valuable to understand when God is speaking so often when people are sharing or we're going through a circumstance and and we have to be asking God why do you what are you trying to teach me here because we can miss it there are people that we come in contact with that God is sending us directly to intervene in their life to tell them the truth tell them what they need to hear and so often people don't perceive it they, they're not they're missing it they're not catching that God is actually sending a messenger to them and so often they're mad at God afterwards and you still haven't spoken, you still haven't shown me what to do. I'm bringing people. I'm bringing people right to you and you're not recognizing it. And so whenever someone speaks God's word to us, we need to be receptive to it. We need to be tuned into it. We need to recognize, oh, that was from God right there. They didn't even know that they, it was from him. Have you ever had that? Where you're talking with somebody and you realize they don't even realize that they are speaking for God in your life right now, but they are. We don't even have to necessarily recognize because if we commit our ways to the Lord, our thoughts will be established, we're told. So his, his thoughts intermingle. We have the mind of Christ with our thoughts, so, and so often we are speaking his heart and his words, and we don't even realize it sometimes. And, and so but we have to be open to it. We have to be receptive to it and recognize that's a danger. For us to fall into that, we're not hearing him. We're not hearing his messenger. We're not hearing, we're not learning from the circumstance. We have to, we have to, he wants us to get it. And he says, Open up your heart, open up your ears, open up your spirit to me, and I will show you great things. Now, notice in verse 10, the disciples ask him about the parable. They want to know. Verse 10, but when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. So they want to know what it meant. They want to get them alone and say, you know, I know you maybe expect us to, that we're getting all this stuff, but we don't get it. And I appreciate that person in the class growing up that was willing to say, um, I don't get it. And most of the time, there's so many other people that were afraid to even say, I don't get it. Ask questions. Jesus isn't afraid of your questions, whether you don't know the Lord or whether you do know him. He's not afraid of your questions because he is the truth. But you better be ready for the truth when you ask him a question. You better be willing to listen to what he says, and it may not be in alignment with what your life represents, or your thinking at the time, or your circumstances, or your emotions, or whatever it is you're bringing to that situation when you ask him the question. But don't be afraid to ask the question. They ask him, and he says in verse 11 To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven. Notice the word given in verse 11. He says, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom. Again, maybe you haven't thought about the fact that revelation is a gift, but here he says right here, it's been given to you, and we don't earn it. You don't earn revelation from God. He just has an expression from his heart to, to do it. And he does it beautifully to reveal truth. And we have to appreciate revelation. It is absolutely a privilege. How much more revelation do we have right now today than these, than these 12 disciples did at the moment? In some ways, so much more. In some ways, less because they're hearing things that haven't been recorded in Scripture. But just think about what well, we have, all the letters of Paul, we have all the Gospels, we have, I mean, John wasn't written until the 90s. So this is way earlier than that. So we we have a lot of revelation to much is given, much is required. Revelation is an expression of God's heart to us. And it's one of the reasons why we worship him. Because he's given us revelation. He said, I call you friends for a servant does not know what his master is doing. He's given us very specific Revelation, And its he loves to do it. And notice he also uses the word mystery. It's given to you to know the mystery. I want to give you that definition. It's our, our familiar word, mysterion, which means, and we that's where we get our word mystery. It means something that has been hidden, but now it's been revealed to us because we're in the new covenant, because we have the Holy Spirit, because he indwells us. He's revealed secrets that have been hidden up to this point. So we, the biblical definition of mystery is not how we use it. When we talk about the, uh, you know, it's a mystery, like we don't know. God says, no, a mysteries you do know, because you're indwelt with my spirit and I've revealed them to you in the new covenant. Also, I want us to highlight the word outside in the middle of verse 11. Notice it says outside. Outside what? Well, he's talking about Those who are on the outside, outside of what? He just talked about the mystery of the kingdom of God, who are outside the kingdom of God. There's the distinction there. Those who are on the outside of the kingdom of God, God speaks in parables. And I want us to understand this because he's going to get into something really specific about parables in a moment. But that's the the issue he's talking about. Now Luke refers to this whole parable in the context of the gospel. So that's our first application. But this whole parable, because it has implications related to the rest of parables, and because it's about something very specific that's important to us and and in our lives every day, it's very applicable to us. But but he says that's the purpose of, um, that's how we deal with truth and and, and, and error, is that the world's full of air and they're not going to have the right perception. They're not going to have the right uh, understanding. But it's different for you. You've been given revelation, things that are used to be uh, in, in the dark or, or hidden. Now you, it's been made known to you by God. Now we're ready for verse 12 to deal with that. Now he's quoting Isaiah nine, or 6, rather, verses 9 and 10. And this prophecy is misunderstood a lot Sometimes people use this to say that God wants to hide truth from people and he doesn't want to teach everybody. Now again, the gospel is the context of of all of this. Luke, Luke reveals that, as I said, clearly. And the original meaning in Isaiah, when you look it up in Isaiah, right? When God is commissioning Isaiah, it was related to Isaiah going and revealing God's word to a very rebellious people. And he was sending them out to be a prophet. And so because of their heart condition, where they were at the the time, they would not receive it. And it became God's judgment to them. Because when you hear something from God and you reject it, that's its own judgment on yourself. And and, and there's repercussions or implications to that. But to the ones who had the right heart, it became a way of escape. So by Jesus quoting this prophecy, he's he is saying it's, it's fulfilled right then, that this is fulfilled. There's people here that are in rebellion to God, don't want to hear anything about God. They're not listening with the right kind of ears, to, you know, spiritual ears. Because of that, it's the same in, as, as it was in that day, and it was happening right then, that those people's hearts were not receptive as, as were the, uh, the other people that were there. Um, remember, in verse two, I highlighted that he said this. He taught them many things by parables. So he taught them. wasn't just the twelve. He taught everybody those things. His his heart was to teach, and he did. Verse two tells us that he did. He accomplished it. There weren't just people that didn't want to hear, but there there were the people that did want to hear, and so he he taught them. Parables reveal the heart. It, parables reveal if you're open to truth if you're submitted to god in your heart and you want to learn or not it exposes what's really there and so if your heart isn't right parables conceal until you are ready it's not that god doesn't want you to ever do it it's just that he's not going to he's not going to squander for lack of a better word uh, revelation on people whose hearts are not wanting truth and wanting to submit to god and so they're they, it's they kind of have a dual purpose Verse 13, and he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Again, this is why we, we're dealing with this here, and I'm only teaching this parable this morning, because it is so important to understanding the rest of the parables, to understand how we assimilate or, or appropriate God's truth and, and the, the implications of not appropriating it correctly. This parable is the key to understanding all the parables, and this is how it applies to us. Again, the reason for why he gives us parables is for those that, that know Christ and are wanting truth and wanting the to be changed by the word of God. He wants those things to change us, and so it's the key to understanding all this parable is, all the parables, because it's talking about people's um, capacity to receive from him. And let's look at the specifics of that. Let's let's let Jesus explain the meaning of this parable. Verse 14. The sower sows the word. Okay, I want to stop there. The sower sows the word. Now, it's the sower. We know the the word of God is the seed, okay? And the sower is God because the word of God comes from God. So God's the sower. He's the one. Remember, we're told in other places it's his harvest field, He's the Lord of the harvest. It's his harvest field. He's sowing the word of God. And so the sower is God. The seed is the word of God, which is, by the way, it's not the only time the word of God is described as seed and so forth in the scriptures. But if you stop for a moment and think about what seed is, it's amazing that God produces physically. We're just talking about physically. What he produces from a little seed these massive oak trees, you ever gone to, to those where the big trees are and you're just, you can't believe these trees are so massive. It starts from something very small. And we know a lot more about seeds now because of our discovery of DNA and all these things and everything that's required is in that little tiny. And I believe that this whole teaching isn't a response to those physical things that he points to. I think that those physical things that he points to were created. To complement his truth and so when he's talking about seed seed was created to mimic the word of god not the other way around and so there is this seed that we, and we can picture it we know what seeds do i don't know if you're are you a good gardener i'm not a good gardener at all i don't have a green thumb i don't have a green finger i don't have a green toe i don't have a green anything a green earlobe i don't have anything i cannot get things to grow except weeds you know, maybe that's a kid, shows my where my heart is. Uh, we're going to get to that kind of heart in a minute, <laughs> but you know, it's seeds are amazing what they can do, and and that's that. We'll come back to that in terms of what that what that means for us. The first heart condition he's going to get to is, and there's four of them, is the shallow heart. Let's read that in verse 15. And these are the ones by the wayside, where this word is sown. And when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. The wayside was the pathways in between the fields. That was the wayside. We use that word a lot, but you know, sometimes we forget that it was actually a real thing in that time. The, The wayside. So the path. So when you're broadcasting seed, they would broadcast this seed. They would they would broadcast it too far beyond the bounds, boundaries of the where the field was supposed to be. It would go on the pathway. That's the, that's the idea. But I want us to focus on the last word of the verse, the word hearts there. Because he says that the word is sown uh, in their hearts. So the soil is our heart. The sower is God. The word of God is the seed. And our hearts are the soils. So it could be you could call it the parable of the hearts. If you want to get more um, applicable to us, so there's four different kinds. And the shallow heart. Again, we're the first context and the first application has to do with the gospel. How many of you have preached the gospel to someone, and it's like you're speaking a different language to them? There's no receptivity. There's no capacity to understand it. To believe it, or they believe that it's a mental agreement of certain facts, and they just kind of go on to the next thing. There's no impact whatsoever, because the Word of God, we're told in Scripture, won't return void. It'll accomplish the purpose it's sent to accomplish, but the soil or the heart has to be the right heart to receive it for it to function in the way that it was designed to function. So basically, there's no soil, because on those pathways, there really wasn't this, it wasn't soft ground in the sense of you couldn't come in and cover it with dirt it was just exposed and that's why these birds you know talk come in and snatch away because they can if it was underground they probably wouldn't be they they might be able to sense that there's a, something there and they could scratch around and get it but for the most part it's on the surface there and so he says satan comes and snatches it um out of their their heart And so we have to recognize that. We can't be stumbled when we share our faith with someone they're not willing to hear us. Well, they have the heart that he's talking about here. There's absolutely no depth whatsoever. It's not even a shallow depth. (laughs) There's no depth at all. And Satan comes and snatches it uh, from their hearts and from their their minds. The second condition we're told, heart condition, is a different kind of heart, is the stony heart. Verse 16. These, likewise, are the ones sown on stony ground, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises, for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. So this is, this is somebody that hears the gospel, they receive it, it's like an emotional decision, they receive it, they receive it, it gladly, but they haven't counted the cost. Jesus talks about counting the cost. And that, it really matters how we present the gospel to people. If we present it as everything's just going to go great and you're going to be just kicking back spiritually and just mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience, and that, you know, we're doing them a great disservice. We need to let them know the truth, what it means. That's why I love how Jesus invited people. He said, follow me, follow me. Wherever I go, that's where that's where you're going to go. It was open ended. There was no contract, no uh, you know um, guaranteed money. It was just this is what I'm doing. Follow me. I don't, we don't know how long you're going to be. We don't know where we're going to go. We don't know what we're going to do. We just know that the Holy Spirit is hit, hitting me right now so hard that this man is the man that I should follow intuitively, spirit in a spiritual way. I need to follow this man. And that's happened to us, those of us that have surrendered our lives to Christ. But there's no root system. Notice he says that. They have no root in themselves. Not themselves in the sense that the source of whatever their strength is, is found in themselves. He's talking about the depth inside them. There's no root inside them. It has to go deep. And so God wants to use his word to tap a deep root inside of us through his word, so that when these things happen, that we're not stumbled, that we're not, we don't uh, have a, an issue with that and, or, or fall away, because we have to be ready to face anything that he puts our way. Because notice he says, tribulation. Now, Jesus promised p- tribulation. He said, in this life, you will face tribulation, But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. That's a promise that you don't see in a lot of those promise cards. (laughs) But it's true, it's a promise. I don't see any great top 10 best-selling books in Christian bookstores about, in this life you'll face tribulation. It's quite the opposite. And, and, And so we have tribulation coming our way, we have a hard life coming our way potentially, that's part of the deal. We have persecution, we don't have that in the sense that other people do in this country or in this world but it's probably coming getting gonna get more and more atten- uh, intense and notice the persecution arises from the word's sake not just for being wacky you know not just being weird and just you know that guy is crazy because he's you know whatever it is that we, we can make our own list of things that don't look like Christ or against his word that are just weird that aren't godly don't look like Jesus or are not a result of being led by the spirit or obeying God's word but if we're honoring God's word and we're staying true to it and we're, we're lifting that up as the standard, persecution is going to come. It could be in our family. It could be at our jobs. It could be at our schools. It could be anytime. But the thing that protects us against that is God's word. And, and so we have to recognize that. We have to recognize that we have to let his word, again, this is First applications to those that don't know Christ. They have all these things going on. They don't have a a true counting the cost uh, presentation to them. And they don't understand what they're signing up for. And they think that it's all great. But then when hard things happen, they, they fall away. And they stumble. That word stumble at the end of verse 17 is the word from which we get our word scandal. It's because scandals are supposed to stumble us. We don't, unfortunately, we, we're desensitized to scandals, and they don't, stum, they don't have the effect on us. We've been desensitized in that way. But they, th- this causes these people to stumble because they have no root. And notice he says they only endure for a time. You have to endure. Endurance. A doctrine called perseverance of the saints, where we endure, where we stand fast, or we hold fast to the confession that we once had all the way through we hold that confession if we're truly disciples of him we will endure we will go through difficult time it may not be pretty <laughs> you know i mean obviously things are difficult times are hard at times and we go through difficulty but the fact is we 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 endure he tells us in spirit, related to spiritual warfare to stand Stand. He said multiple times in Ephesians 6 to stand, stand our ground. Remember, we looked at the enemy's tactics is divide and conquer, but he calls believers to unite and stand. That's what he calls us to. And that's how we uh, lock arms or lock shields together and, and hold, our, hold our ground. It's a beautiful uh, expression of God's um, work in our lives. So this stony heart is that second heart condition and it's, there's not a lot of um, room for roots to go deep. But the third heart condition is a distracted heart. Look at verse 18. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter, entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful so much of the teaching that's out there is actually helping this out because it's teaching a man-centered doctrine where we focus on ourselves and we try to be as wealthy as we possibly can, as successful as we possibly can, getting my five-year plan, my 10-year plan, my 15-year plan, my 20-year plan, my 25-year plan, speak the word of God, work the system, work the word as they say, and I'm not gonna have any sickness, I'm not gonna have any, uh, you know, issues. I'm not going to be ever, ever needy of anything, and, and that's going to show everybody that I am a conqueror, and I'm the head, not the tail, and all these things that, that lead right into this, because the deceitfulness of riches. Well, how are riches deceitful? Because it, they're deceitful as if they're going to bring fulfillment. They're deceitful in the sense of that's what I'm supposed to chase after as a Christian, and Paul wrote to Timothy and said, those that desire to be rich fall into a trap and pierce themselves through with many griefs, and so the it's a danger for us. Is it wrong to be rich? No, it's not wrong to be rich at all. But you kind of have to be rich without trying. <laughs> you kind of have to just be content each day, take up your cross daily, follow him, obey him. And if all of that leads to blessing materially, great. But if it doesn't, then it doesn't. It has to not come by me chasing after it. It has to come by me obeying him. Because he adds to that the desires for other things. What is... what is a uh, covetousness. We don't talk a lot about that these days. It's kind of out of fad right now. Covetousness. Our flesh never likes it. Covetousness is is the ungodly desire for more. And so, is it wrong to want something? No. But it's wrong to want something that God doesn't have for us. So we, we bring that in submission to Him. Lord, do you want me to have this? If He says yes, then you have it. As long as it doesn't stumble someone else, of course. Well, it probably wouldn't say yes if it stumbled someone else. But the point is, you have to submit those things to him. The cares of this world also come into play. Just the way that this world works. And there's things that are not bad things in and of themselves, but they get in the way of our hearts being able to receive the word of God's work in our lives because we're distracted. Again, this is the distracted heart. And in our world, especially when things are coming at us so many, so fast, and so many different, um, you know, mediums, with phones and TV and all these things, and it just—it's so fast-paced and everything. It's so easy to be distracted and not have a heart that's willing to receive God's word and willing to follow Him wherever He leads and do whatever He says and not get sidetracked. That's a good word for this. Don't get sidetracked into these things. He is, He loves us more than we could ever love ourselves and he said the gentiles seek after these things seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you he knows what we need before we ask he's a loving father so we can trust him to put those things at his feet notice at the end of verse 19 he says and it becomes unfruitful that's the point of this whole entire parable his whole priority is not even supremely talking about salvation at all. It's talking about fruitfulness, and and so um, we're so often more concerned about being blessed than we are fruitful. But God's definition of being blessed is that we are fruitful. You can't be blessed if you're not being fruitful because look at God saved us and planted his gospel in our hearts for a purpose. For us to come to know him, to to enjoy him as as our Lord and to have that relationship that he wants for us, that closeness, that intimacy with him. He wants that for us, but it goes beyond that. Sometimes we stop there and think, well, you know, that's great. And all the maturity that happens in me as a result of him is for my benefit and for me to be blessed. And that's the wrong message. That's what's wrong with all the messages and teachings that are out there that puts the focus on me. Because being fruitful, and some people say, oh, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's talking about fruit. Well, that's true. That's part of it. But what fruit do you see on a tree that's for the tree's benefit? It's for someone else to come and walk up to that tree and enjoy that fruit. Someone else's benefit. So the fruit of the spirit is for other people too. You, try, you can't get out of being fruitful by saying it means the fruit of the spirit, because the fruit of the spirit is for other people to enjoy. It's not supremely for me. It's supremely for other people. Go through that list. In fact, I'll read it to you. I'll, I'll spare you that. Galatians 5:22, "But the fruit of the spirit is love, that's for others. Joy, that's for others. Peace, that's for others. Long-suffering, that's for others kindness that's for others goodness that's for others faithfulness that's for others gentleness that's for others self-control ooh, we're getting woo self-control that's for others that's for others self-control against such there is no law so god wants fruit being produced from our lives you don't tape fruit to a tree it can't be man-made it has to come organically has to come naturally from the tree. He will bear fruit through us if we abide in him. He talks about it in John 15. If we abide in him, he's going to bear fruit through our lives, but we need to bear fruit. That's what he wants. So our hearts need to have the right heart so that he can plant his word deep. Well, that Well It goes deep inside of us where we get really discipled and mature. We're not stumbled by things, and it goes deep inside of our lives. We have devotional life. It's not an exception. It's the rule, a consistent devotional life every day with him, and it, we love it, and, and and God changes us through it because he wants this fruit. He, I read this last week. I'm going to read it again. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that he prepared in advance that we should walk in them. That's what he saved you for. I hate to break it to you if it's not what you were told. It's true. That's why he saved you, to bear fruit. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Look at the numbers he says, though, at the at the end of verse 20. 60 or 30-fold, some 60 and some 100. This is amazing. Now, this isn't talking about 60, 30 trees, and 60 trees, and 100 trees. He's talking about the fruit from one tree. 30 times, 60 times, 100 times. The level of fruitfulness he wants. Now that can hit us two ways. It can hit us in the sense of thinking that, well, you know, my, the fruit that he's bearing through my, through my life is, is too much, you ever think that i haven't thought that either but you know that happens when people thought you know there's too much there's too much fruit going on i haven't seen that and sometimes seeing this helps us to see the level of fruit the amount of fruit that he wants us to 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 show this world for a reason to show this lost world he will produce that there's another way that we can see it and it's a great encouragement to us when we think that it's not possible god could never do that kind of 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold through my life. Yes. And next week we're going to get into why that is because of the nature of the seed. We're just the soil. The soil doesn't have anything to do in the sense of it's needed, but it doesn't have anything directly to do with the amount of fruit that comes from that tree. It's the seed, it's the issue, is, and, and the reason why the fruit happens the way that it happens. He wants us to bear a lot of fruit. And he measures our lives by fruit in, in part. And our ministries are measured by that. And he, we're going to stand before him one day, those of us that know him, we're going to stand at the, at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for our life for the fruit and the, the motivation and if we did it in love and all these things that, that we're told in other places related to how we should bear fruit and how we should live our lives. He's, we're going to have to give an account personally one-on-one to him. And we want to we want to... Um, bless him. I need to go back because I missed the, the fourth heart, which is the most important one. I need to read it. At least read it. <laughs> verse 20. But these are the ones sown on good ground. It's the fertile heart. That's the fourth kind. Is there any more ways I can mess this up? There, these, the, these are the ones who are sown on good fruit. Won't be the last time. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit some thirty fold, some sixty, and some a hundred. So we just start at the end of the verse first. So that's the key. Fertile ground. Fertile ground. And fertile ground is beautiful. I mean, there's ground that's just so soft, and it's just perfect for ground, and, uh, for seed, rather. And he says, notice the, the three things. Hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. See, the ones that were in the beginning on the wayside, they, they heard it, but that's it. They didn't accept it. And he says, you need to hear it, you need to accept it, and bear fruit some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. So he wants a lot of fruit through our lives. The big question is, can I change the soil? I recognize that my heart is one of these that's not the fourth one. Can I change the soil? Yes, if you're not a believer, you can receive Christ. If you've heard the gospel before, most of us have to hear it multiple times before, that's why we can't give up on people, before they receive. So if you're here today, you can receive Christ. The other ones, it's just the other two, it's a matter of repentance. It's a matter of opening your heart to God. It's a matter of letting God change your heart. But it is our responsibility to let him change it. I want to read a passage from Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, which says this. Thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground, and do not sow among thorns, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your hearts, you men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. So it's possible to have a hard heart as a result of sin, unrepentant sin. You know, as Christians, if we sin and we don't repent, our heart can get harder and harder and harder and harder. And he says, just repent, just, just do that. But then there's another type of repentance that where we look in Hebrews chapter 12, which says, lay aside the, the, the weights and the sin that so easily ensnares us. So that's talking about sin, of course, but it's also talking about weights, and those are the distractions that we talked about. The distractions, lay aside those weights. Sometimes the weights that are evident in the past, and we deal with those things, now we at a new place in life, a new chapter in life, the things that used to be freedoms, he says, no, that's not for you now. I want you to put that aside. That's a weight to you now. Because of what I'm doing in your life currently, this new thing that I'm doing in your life, I want you to take away these things now because they're a distraction of, of, of your heart. And what I wanted, the word that I want to sow in your heart for what you're doing now, I want, I want those things to be cleared so that you can receive it and it could help you do what I've called you to do. So it's a good possibility that we just need, some of us need to reprioritize our life to say, you know what, I'm going to start putting God first again. I have, maybe I haven't for a while, and I'm going to put him first in my life, and I'm going, to, I'm going to put all these other things aside. And so he wants us to hear God's word, accept it. He wants us to bear fruit. But as we lean upon him, as we depend upon him, then he, he does that, and he produces that amazing crop. The gospel is something we should be preaching all the time as he gives us opportunity We can't be surprised by the different hearts. He said that that's the issue, not the seed. There's nothing wrong with the seed, nothing wrong with the harvest field. We love to criticize the harvest field. Oh, it's hard soil there, you know, and there's no no fruit to be found. He said that the the, the harvest is ripe, it's ready to be harvested. And the fact, you don't go into a harvest field, you don't go into an orchard that's supposed to be ripe and ready for harvesting and be surprised by fruit that's ready to be picked. You know that they're supposed to be picked because that's why you're there. That's what that's the time of year or whatever. That's what the farmer said. <laughs> farmer says. I won't get into that. Um, so we have to love others. We have to be open to God's word. We need to be ready to give the gospel and, and have our hearts be ready to be formed and fashioned by him because that's how he wants to use us. It's beautiful. I mean, this, this parable of the soils helps us understand how, to under, how all the rest of the parables work. Because all the rest of the parables are God's word. And we need to be open, because he said there's a danger of not being open to parables. And those outside the kingdom of God are not open to parables. But we're open to parables. And, and he wants us to recognize that God's word is, is functioning in, in our lives the way that he set it up to function. And if we recognize that, we open up our hearts, we have our hearts be deep soil for his word when we hear the parables and we understand the main point, the one main point that's usually there, we'll receive it and it'll be used in our lives so that we can bear more fruit. And so that's why it's so important. That's why I wanted to focus on just that this morning. And so let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this reminder. We want to be fruitful for you I, help, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to be led by you regarding how we can be fruitful. Give us, Speak to us where we can serve, where we can make a difference, where we can be like you, Lord, in, in giving our lives away for you. I pray that you would direct each person in this church on how we can do that and how we can be fruitful. And we ask also, Lord, that you increasingly bring the fruit of the Spirit forth from our lives so that others can enjoy it. I thank you, Lord, that you produce your character in us as we yield to you. We pray, Lord, that we would increasingly um, pr- uh, produce or show or demonstrate your uh, character, Lord, as we yield to you and let you show forth your amazing, um, who you are. And we just, we just love that you let us live like you. So we, we commit it to you. We pray that you'd use it in Jesus' name.